a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Fall of Kabul, one year later. In depth coverage on Inside Sources. One year. One year ago today, the Afghan government collapsed and the Taliban swept in to take control of the country. One year. uh, One year since we saw horrific images of babies being passed over fences, desperate Afghans chasing after airplanes. A year ago, terrorist attack that killed 13 U.S. service members outside the Kabul airport. Now, one year later... Uh, Time to get beyond just the headlines of the United States' withdrawal from Afghanistan and time to think again about what life is like, what lessons we learned, and what comes next. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We do want to get beyond just the headlines today and to help us do that as we look back and as we look at where we are and as we look forward, Miles Hansen is president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah and has been a great inside source for us uh, in looking at this particular region of the world and uh, following along as we've gone over the course of the last year. Miles, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Boyd, as always, it's good to be on. Well, let's start with uh, kind of the high level uh, as we look back uh, one year. Uh, what are some of the things that just stand out? And then we'll kind of dig into to each of those as we look at where we are and what comes next. You know, Boyd, at at a high level, I I really appreciate you spending some time on this today because it's important for us as Americans and and certainly here in in Utah to take a moment and remember the trauma, the chaos, uh, the lives that were lost and and disrupted uh, a year ago as the Taliban swept across the company, uh, the Afghanistan and and took control of the Afghan government in, in the country. Um, The world has moved on. Uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, dominate the headlines. Um, But that trauma for the people that are still living in Afghanistan and those that have, you know, family ties to the country uh, persists as many of the things that the the world was was fearful of have begun to materialize uh, there in Kabul and and throughout the country. So as as we look back, uh, let's start with with the withdrawal itself. Uh, what were some of those uh, crucial moments? What were some of the mistakes made? What what are the lessons learned? You know, Lloyd, I, Boyd, it's 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 interesting if you look at uh, the time that we've had to, to kind of be a little bit more retrospectively. And I think about a lot of conversations I've had with with friends and former colleagues that uh, are still in uh, in foreign policy, national security, military positions, and in, in government, and some that have left since. 
I think there's there's universal consensus that the way that we uh, pursued the withdrawal was absolutely disastrous. I haven't heard anybody that, that really tried even to, to defend uh, the way that we went about ending the war. Um, it was too fast. Uh, we did not adequately give our partners time to prepare. We didn't adequately work with our partners in the region that are closer, uh, that could have helped manage a, a smoother transition. Um, we didn't uh, sequence things correctly. You know, mm. first we w- should have been focused on bolstering our partners and, and helping them prepare for an end of the uh, combat operations for the United States and NATO in Afghanistan. We should have then worked very hard to get civilians and our Afghan partners out of the country as we're doing that, and our partners are surging uh, their investments in the security and diplomacy and the economy in Afghanistan. We could have then started to shrink our military footprint. Uh, we could have made sure that we got our military equipment out, the billions of dollars of equipment that was left in Afghanistan that's now in the hands of the Taliban. You know, we could have gotten that out and then slowly started to shrink that military footprint and get our, our service members out. And so then we could have uh, successfully ended the war while at the same time uh, putting our partners on the ground in a position, highest likelihood of success. And even if they were not successful, at least we could have avoided you know, the real incompetence that was on display and the turmoil and the chaos that resulted. Yeah, I think that's so important. Uh, we often talk about endings matter. Uh, and this is one of those where the, where the ending mattered and we, and we missed it. We missed that opportunity. And uh, I also appreciate the fact, Miles, that you, you brought up this idea of sequence matters as well uh, in, in these things. So often the, the when to is just as important as the how to or the what to. And particularly when, when we're looking at our uh, our credibility as a global partner or as a partner in uh, freedom in pursuit of, uh, you know, democratic uh, rules and laws, uh, that this was clearly a, a space where we could have reinforced some of that. But in the end, we had a lot of our partners uh, who were sort of wondering now, wait a minute, uh, how good a partner is the United States? Can we really count on them? Uh, and a lot of that was endings and, and sequence. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's it's interesting. You think about how important it is uh, to demonstrate resolve for our partners around the world. And it's also important to demonstrate competence. Mm. And you can have resolve, but if you don't have competence, that resolve is not worth a dang thing. And what we unfortunately demonstrated through last spring and, and, and throughout the summer was was not only a lack of resolve, to end this thing right, to sequence things, to make the investments of time and energy to ensure that we could wind things up without the chaos that resulted. And at the same time, the competence to do so. And I remember Boyd talking about a year ago on this, and and what we talked about was uh, because of this lack of resolve and even worse, the lack of competence, that we all should pay very close attention to Ukraine. We should all be looking at Taiwan because our enemies around the world would view this as a window of opportunity and unfortunately, that's exactly what we've seen. And we see, saw shortly after the, you know, the tragic events in Afghanistan in August of 2021, you saw Vladimir Putin start into motion these troop buildups on Ukraine. They, they, they built some troops up. They took them back. They, they, they started building up again. And, of course, we all know what happened there. And then we've all watched over the past few weeks as China has really ratcheted up its uh, threats and posturing against Taiwan really in historic ways. And so we see that when uh, weakness invites aggression, and unfortunately, that's what we've seen over the past 12 months. And there's no question in my mind that our our enemies, they're they're watching. They're watching our competence. They're watching our resolve. 
And if they sense that there's a window of opportunity, then they absolutely will try to take advantage of that. Yeah, and one of those areas of weakness or those that area of disarray has just really come down to basic things like like food. Uh, we know there are, are millions that are, are facing uh, food insecurities and food shortages, and uh, we know that uh, it, it will likely get worse there before it gets better. Give us some sense in terms of where we are. Obviously, it's going to take uh, international communities to deal with that. The economy is clearly uh, in collapse over there. What does it look like just in terms of those basic things uh, for society, starting with the children uh, and food? Yeah, you know, you think about Afghanistan, even in in, in the best of times, right? Uh, a poor country, food security, uh, quality of life, just just really really challenging. Uh, from last August until the end of of 2021, uh, an already weak economy absolutely collapsed, shrunk by more than a third. And you think about how how disruptive that is. It's hard for us to even fathom here in the United States what that would look like to be in a situation where. You know, you're just you're scrap, scraping by to, to provide for your family. And then to go through something like this where the, where the economy uh, absolutely collapses. And so it's very, very difficult. Uh, part of the challenge is that the international community uh, it has a hard time understanding how do you work with a regime in the Taliban that is uh, following through on everything that, that, that we feared in terms of ratcheting up oppression of women, of, of making it safer for terrorist organizations to, to be there in the country, uh, on the one side, how do you hold them accountable for these, uh, these negative policies and things that they're allowing, while at the same time demonstrating some humanity and, and, and compassion and support for the people of Afghanistan, who unfortunately are the ones that are bearing the brunt of this economic collapse? All right. Uh, great insight there. And we're going to stay with the question a little longer today. We're spending our whole first hour looking back, looking at where we are, and more importantly, looking at what comes next as it relates uh, to Afghanistan. Miles Hansen's agreed to stay with us uh, for one more segment. When we come back, we're going to dig into some of those human rights, especially women's rights, young women in particular, and education, what this means for the future of the country and the future of freedom in the region. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KS. News Radio. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. The fall of Kabul, one year later. In depth coverage on Inside Sources. Special one hour here on Inside Sources, taking this first hour of the program to look back one year at where we are in terms of what has taken place in Afghanistan. And then getting a good sense of what comes next and what does that mean for all of us, even right here to the state of Utah. And really pleased to have staying on the line with us, Miles Hansen, always our great inside source on this region of the world. He's the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. And Miles, as we uh, rounded out that first segment, uh, you made a, a really crucial point that I, I want to make sure we get a little time on. And that is one of the consequences of this rapid withdrawal and then everyone moving on to whatever's next, as we're so good at in the world today, uh, we really didn't have a, a moment to do the debrief, to do the, the breakdown. Uh, what are the consequences of that? You know, Boyd, it, it is interesting. We were so focused on the chaos and disruption of this withdrawal that we haven't taken a step back and remembered this was a conclusion of a 20-year war. We've had you know, thousands and thousands of, of, of casualties, both with us and our partners, you know, uh, incredible amounts of money dedicated to this. And so it's really important that amidst the focus on how did this thing end so badly, 
But we also don't just ask ourselves, you know, how did the war, how do we get to this place to begin with? And how can we be more intentional about thinking through uh, future wars? And there's somebody named John Manza, who is a, he worked at NATO. He wrote a report that NATO published. It's, it's classified, but some of the key findings are not uh, classified. And they published it, published it in late 2021. And he came up with, with four lessons that I think are really important to think through. And especially as we continue to think through, you know, Ukraine, uh, potentially Taiwan, other hotspots around the world. Um, his first lesson was to think deeply about a choice of enemy. You know, he brought the point that uh, Afghanistan is not strategically relevant in terms of its location. Um, it is uh, a, a country that's very far from the United States, is very far from our partners in NATO. And so we need to think very, very deeply before we jump headlong into a war. What are the vital national security interests and how important are they compared to everything else happening in the world? Um, which comes into a second lesson, uh, which is really focused on being very cautious about objectives and avoiding mission creep. Now, remember, 9-11 al-Qaeda, absolutely high priorities for us as a country. No question about that. We had vital interests at stake at disrupting, dismantling, and destroying uh, al-Qaeda. And the Taliban were harboring uh, al-Qaeda. And so you think about the beginning of the war we came in with that very focused counterterrorism objective. But over the years, that scope uh, turned into nation building. And it was absolutely, absolutely trans trying to transform Afghanistan's governance, its society, its culture, its economy, and that mission creep is something that I think we all can be a, a little bit more humble uh, based on the experience we had in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then two other lessons really quickly. One, uh, we need to work to, to avoid trying to impose outside institutions. Uh, the government is one, military is another. Uh, the military that we tried to build in Afghanistan was just not congruent with the way the wars have been fought in Afghanistan uh, for centuries and, and decades. And so the collapse of the Afghan military is a prime example of that. And then the last lesson that he drew was a need to tell the hard truth. Mm. For years, we had reports coming out of Afghanistan driven by the military that was focused on achieving these objectives that clearly got uh, out scope for what the military was in a position to do. And with uh, more frank assessments about how things were going, uh, we could have recalibrated earlier in the process. Uh, yeah, that's such an important part of that uh, that whole process. I want to I talk to some of the uh, challenges. Obviously, one that uh, people have been focusing on is the uh, deteriorating rights of women. Uh, they had made such progress, uh, even in the context of all of the other challenges over the, that 20 years. There was a, a generation of women that experienced 10 or 15 years of education, of taking seats in government and businesses. Uh, and, and I'm one of those who still believes that ultimately, uh, when things do change in Afghanistan, it will be these women uh, who tasted freedom uh, and who had that education, who are now running underground education centers for, for young girls. Uh, but what, what are the other lessons as it relates to that kind of stability and that kind of future as it relates to Afghanistan? Yeah, it's been really tragic to see those opportunities for women getting rolled back in Afghanistan and to the point now where you do have underground schools. Uh, you know, the Taliban have imposed many of the same uh, restrictions that were in place when they were in power in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, one key difference is you now have this generation of women who uh, know what it's like to have freedom, to have the ability to work in the workplace, to engage in society, to be leaders in society. And uh, many people, men and women in Afghanistan, who see all the benefits that come 
with a full empowerment of women. And so you, you still see some protests happening. You see some resistance. Um, but the Taliban clearly have the upper upper hand when it comes to, you know, military and policing uh, capabilities. Uh, I, I do think it is uh, a crucial question of the day is how do you ensure and how do you create that space uh, for those extraordinary women and for the great advancements they made in a very short period of time there in Afghanistan uh, to be able to to parlay those uh, into a better future rather than uh, more steps back under under the Taliban. I think it's also important to to note just what the United States military was able to hold in place, even with a small force as that footprint continued to to shrink and, and be scaled down over the years. Uh, that it was a small fighting force uh, that was there in Afghanistan. And yet even with just that, uh, which really sent to me the signal that the United States still was interested, was still engaged, and would still take uh, significant action in in the face of threat. And it looks like we got uh, Miles back on. And uh, Miles, as, as we were just kind of uh, fluttered through a couple of things really quick in terms of you know what it meant just to have even a small force uh, from the United States, 2,500 or so over those last few years, that even that uh, provided some stability in terms of uh, at least uh, the Taliban knew that America was serious and wasn't going anywhere. Uh, but what does that mean, that, that this balance I think we all struggle with of nation building on one hand and stability and creating space uh, for freedom to at least have a spark? Uh, what's What's the lesson and how do you see things playing out moving forward? You know, that's a great question. I apologize there for dropping. I think that it's absolutely critical as we move forward with our national security, and this is far broader than just Afghanistan, that we get very hard-nosed about understanding why we're doing the things that we're doing mm-hmm. and being very clear within our national security strategy about what are the key objectives that we're working to accomplish. And, and, and there's there's vision visioning, right? I think in, in every organization there ought to be a vision. What's that long-term objective that you're hoping to uh, accomplish or this reality you're, you're hoping to create as an organization. Uh, those are often aspirational and long-term. Then you dial that back into a mission that's very specific that can be fulfilled, the fulfillment of which achieves the vision, but then objectives that we can directly control. And so I think it's critical in Afghanistan, uh, you know, we, we, we could have, uh, we continue to focus on, on those objectives we'd like to see achieved, and then what can we do in order to actually control to accomplish those and like you point out, we had 2,500 troops. It was fairly sustainable, and we were in the process of accomplishing many of those objectives. Maybe not everything that the long-term vision that many had hoped for, but we are doing it at a relative low cost as we look at Ukraine, uh, Taiwan, other places around the world. It's just so important for us to be very clear about what we're trying to accomplish and then ensuring that what we are committing ourselves to accomplish are things that we have the power and the capabilities to accomplish and if we can scope ourselves like that, then I think we'll put ourselves in a position where we're less likely to get overextended with objectives that are high and lofty and that we all can feel good about, but perhaps our, our power and capabilities are not sufficient to unilaterally accomplish those. And if in, in is, if we get more intentional and more focused like this, then they can help us make smarter resource decisions. And we can focus on those those objectives, accomplishing those, and then building from there. But I just think that in Afghanistan, we got way too aspirational. We got out uh, trying to accomplish things that we, we didn't have the ability to, to do. 
and therefore, at the end of the day, we we ended up failing and, and not not only not accomplishing those those objectives that were measurable and attainable, um, but in fact, in a lot of ways, the country's reverting back to to the way it was before we began our war there. Yeah, great insight as always, Miles Hansen, President and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. And this to me is uh, what Miles has been talking about. Uh, this is the ultimate art of war strategy without tactics is the slowest path to victory. Tactics without strategy is just the noise before defeat. And I think that's where we ended up. Miles, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Boyd. Have a great day. We're going to step aside for a quick bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to stay with the question as we have a special hour-long coverage here on Inside Sources. We'll uh, be joined by Fiona Harrigan of Reason as we talk about some of the refugee and evacuees and where their plight is and what comes next. Stay with us. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.